0: Little Caesars premium Detroit style deep, deep dish pizza with more cheese and pepperoni is our most premium pizza experience. And now it's even more premium. Just call 1-855-TALK-DEEP and we'll compliment you while you eat it. This premium treatment isn't just for eccentric billionaires. It's for you with your shiny hair and very kind eyes. That one's on us. Pick up our premium
1: deep, deep dish pizza for just eight bucks and call 1 855 Talk Deep. Hot and ready four to eight. Or order anytime, you cool rebel. Only at Little Caesars. Pizza, pizza. At participating locations plus tax.
0: Log Talk Radio.
2: Welcome to Night Light. I'm really delighted you all could join me tonight because I am so excited about the topic we're going to be talking about. My guest is Robert Sullivan, um, full title, Robert W. Sullivan the Fourth, And he is a philosopher, a historian, an antiquarian, a jurist, a theologian, a writer, a radio and TV personality, a best-selling author, and, if that wasn't enough, a lawyer. Um, and he's, we're going to be talking tonight about one of the two books that he's published. The, um, the second book that he published, we've spoken of, uh, a number of times. And that was in 2014. He published Cinema Symbolism, A Guide to Esoteric Imagery in Popular Movies, um, And we've done two shows on that, and it's a fascinating topic, and I promise you, if you read the book or listen to one of the shows, you will never go to the movies and watch the movie, you know, the same ever again. Um, It gives you greater insight into where images are placed, and it gives you a greater understanding of the impact that images have on our subconsciousness. So it, it, that book in itself is a fascinating topic. Uh, he's currently writing book two of that same genre, and I am I am eagerly awaiting that book. Uh, the book we're talking about tonight, though, is the first book that he wrote, and he wrote it after 20 years of research, so you can imagine how detailed this book is. Actually, I told him I thought that it, it really easily could have been a Ph.D. dissertation, and, and I mean that. It's well-researched. It's well-documented. It's a fascinating, fascinating book. And it's called The Royal Ark of Enoch, The Impact of Masonic Ritual Philosophy and Symbolism. Now, that sounds ponderous. Um, and if you're anything like I was, my understanding of Freemasonry, which is what this book is about, um, is limited to the fact that my grandfather was a 32nd degree mason and I've known a number of people who have relatives that are freemasons that 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 know what freemasons are sort of and um and of course you know with some of the shows on TV you know we see masonic symbols and stuff in some strange and wonderful places uh through um Uncovering America and a couple of other of the shows there. Freemasonry comes up in lots of different fascinating places and it is an incredibly, incredibly fascinating topic. Uh, I I have done quite a bit of research on it uh, prior to actually reading his book so that I kind of understood just the formation of it and, and what it entailed and the more I researched, the more I found that Freemasonry is not just a bunch of guys that all meet together in a lodge and they go through rituals. It's, it is a spiritual organization focused on self-awareness and serving um, humanity and the community and, and, you know, the people around you. Uh, it's, and, and, I, and I guess the reason that we don't really know more about Freemasonry is because it is yeah, traditionally a, a, a secret fraternity. But there are aspects of it that we all know very well, and the Shriners are one of them. They, they do wonderful work with hospitals and the Odd Fellows as well, so that there are parts of the organization that are out there and the public is very well aware of. But, you know, when you think of the Shriners, you think of the Shriner Parade and their little hats. You don't think about all the good work that they actually do, and it is a tremendous amount of phenomenal work that they do with children's hospitals. The uh, the topic tonight is of course the Ark of Enoch, which is a part of a ritual that that is involved in the higher echelons of Freemasonry, and I I, I think that uh, you're going to find it fascinating. You're going to want to learn more, and certainly his book is certainly a wonderful wonderful source of of information and insight. It's it's just amazing i'm going to put his website into the um i'm going to try to put his website into the chat room so you can check his website out uh it's it's just a phenomenal book and and i um you know don't be don't be put off by the fact that it's so well researched you just can't believe it just just read through it you, and and then as I told him, I'm going to have to read through it a couple of extra times so that I can actually um, really pull all of the stuff that that has the spiritual connotations that I have been looking from for. Now, I, I want to tell you that that aside from Enoch, which of course we all are familiar with because of the Bible stuff, um, he goes into the the um, the building of Solomon's Temple, which is what um, what what. Freemasonry is is based on, and it's it's just it's an amazing journey to to see this organization evolve and grow and shift and change and and alter for the times and and you know it it has come to where it is today still a mystery to most of us but yet an amazingly deep and profound and 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 I guess you can call it a almost. A, well, it's an antique, but it certainly has grown to the times in which we serve. So let me welcome Robert in here, and he can actually give you the intelligent explanation to what I've been befuddling through. Robert, welcome to the show again.
1: Hey, Barbara. How you doing? Thanks for having me on Nightlight. Light. Uh, much appreciated. Great to be uh, back on. Third time's a charm. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, the third time, we're actually getting to the book that really probably would have been a, a better introduction to everything, but um I panicked because i didn't know enough about freemasonry so so we did the cinema stuff but um now that I have you know certain sort, sort of uh, given myself a, a small education in Freemasonry and then a much larger one after reading the book uh, I, I I think that most people don't understand i mean Freemasonry is one of those organizations that has been able to remain quietly in the background for 3 or 400 years that we know of and and probably even longer before that and it's just it seems to me that that, that in and of itself is phenomenal be- because yeah, usually, yeah. The, usually these organizations, you know, somebody has to blab, and and I mean, I I will admit that there are people out there that have you know talked about some of the some of the rituals and all of that stuff, but but the wonderful thing about it, and 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 the thing that I want to put out there and reemphasize all over the place, um, Freemasonry is, in my interpretation, um, a journey to self awareness and being able to get closer and closer and closer to the, to the link to our source of creation and to serve humanity and each other well. And it's, it's profound in the, that I think one of, the, one of the coolest things about it that I, that I found out was you don't go out and you don't have these, you know, you, you, you're not looking for people to join. People have to find you and ask to become a member.
1: But that's absolutely right. Um, you are you are technically, um, as a mason, you're not supposed to solicit membership. Um, you know the the old the line that you'll see and you'll see this on bumper stickers and and you'll see it on you know maybe even on a uh, radio show or radio commercial is um, to be one, ask one. Um, and the idea is that if you have a friend or someone you know or someone you work with who wears the masonic ring, you know with the square and compasses or a lapel pin or something like that um, or tie bar, um, you know, you're, you're saying you're, you're interested in becoming a Mason this is how I did it. Um, you know, you're supposed to approach them and say, Hey, I, you know, I, I recognize you're a Freemason. I would like to join. Um, that that's ideally how it's supposed to work. That's how it happened in my case. Now, to be brutally honest, I mean, you know, you do have solicitation. I mean, you know, of course, People who are in the lodge, they try to get you know their buddies to join, or or, or a relative, or, you know you know a nephew or something that, that's genuinely probably not interested. Um, this usually completely backfires. Um, it's been my experience that at least, in any anyway, rate, again, it's my experience um, that when you try to talk someone into it, it's probably a bad idea. Um, usually, these people usually, and again, it's it's just going from what I've seen. Usually the person will come up, go through the first degree, and you'll you'll never see them again. Um, but but you know you know and, and that's the whole idea is it should be, you know that, that's why they try not to solicit or you know at least advertise that they don't is they want people who are general you know genuinely interested in joining. Um, and that's how it happened for me. Um, back in the mid 90s, um, my mother and father knew a person who is no longer alive who was in a Masonic temple in Maryland. Um, it's the lodge so I eventually wound up joining. And I, I, I was, my parents were our antique dealers, and he was an antique dealer as well. And I went out to dinner with them, with with the three of them. And uh, I, I saw he had the Masonic ring on with the square and compasses. And and this was right before I went to law school, and right after I had graduated Gettysburg. And I just said, Hey, I see you're a Freemason. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm you know kind of not really doing anything right now. Um, I'm you know fresh out of college. You know, and again, this was before law school. I'd like to join join the lodge and uh he put the ball in motion and uh you know started the process and I filled out the petition sent the petition in with the fee and uh took me about a year to go through the rituals and the catechism um and uh you know in 1997 I became a uh, third degree master mason and you're absolutely right Barbara it's you know really non solicitation of members um and it really is better that way
2: Oh my goodness it's yes and and it's it's just like People don't begin to understand the spiritual side to their character until they reach a certain place, and then they find whatever modality is appropriate to help them go further with it. And um, I, I just just give a, if you can, and, sure. and I, I I don't think it's possible, but give it a try. Um, explain you know the Blue Lodge and then how the, the the other degrees come after the Blue Lodge.
1: Sure, sure, absolutely. Um but the way this works is um in, in masonry pre masonry proper in order for a, a person or a man um to become a freemason or a master mason, they have to complete three degrees um the degrees are entered apprentice fellow craft and master mason. The way this works is. Um, you can, you know, reach out to someone you know who's a Mason. Um if if you do not know and I've been asked this before, I've actually received numerous emails on this, um mm-hmm. through my website where someone has said, you know, I'm interested in becoming a Mason. I'm in Connecticut or in New York, um, and I don't know any. You know, you know, can you help me with this? Um and, and I, for the people listening, um if this is the case and you really don't know anyone who's a who's a Freemason, if you're if whatever state you're in, um so if you're in California, if you're in Pennsylvania or Maryland or New York or wherever and you don't know anyone who is a freemason my advice would be um contact the grand lodge of that state they'll have a website that you can find through google um so if you're in pennsylvania just type in masonic grand lodge of pennsylvania you know masonic grand lodge of enter state's name um, and you're going to get a website with with an email contact or a phone number um just just give them a call i mean and just just be honest just say listen i'm you know i i live in so and so you know in the state of new york i'm interested in becoming a mason um, and you know, you know what steps do I have to do? And the way it should work is, and it's happened is they'll put you in contact uh, with a local Masonic lodge, and you can begin the process. So once the process has, has begun, which is filling out a petition, um, you know, and you you've heard the story, you know, they'll, they'll set up a committee to investigate you. They'll interview you. In a nutshell, the interview consists of they want to make sure you believe in God, and they just want to make sure you know you don't have a criminal rap sheet a mile long, that you're a decent person. Um, you know, that you're not, you know, joining the Masons for some bizarre, you know, reason or anything like that. I mean, if you say, I'm interested in joining, um, you know, for family tradition, community service, that won't be a problem. When I joined it, there was sort of a de-emphasis on the esoteric and occult tradition. Um, I can report this is changing, but, you know, still, you know, it's probably in some places it still may be somewhat frowned upon. But at any rate, um, if, you, if you're fine, you'll, 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 you'll go through a brief interview process, and they'll vote on the petition, um, and unless there's someone in the lodge that you've rubbed the wrong way, which is unlikely, they'll vote on the petition, you will know, go through, you know, what, you know, you've heard this expression, the, you, you go into the voting room, which is the lodge, and you, if, if you favor the person, um, you get the white ball, and if you don't like the person, you want to keep out. it's the black ball or the black cube. And this is where you get the term "blackballed," and this is where it comes from. If you drop one of those, then means the person um you, is basically voted out. You only need one of them but again this is a rare that they, they they that very rarely happens um you usually if a person is if a person in the lodge has a problem with the candidate it, it usually comes out well before that um at any rate at that point you'll be brought up and you'll go through the the rituals you'll go through the entered apprentice um and then you'll have to take a catechism on that, which is a set of predetermined questions with predetermined answers. You rehearse it. Um, it's not a surprise or trick trick questions or anything like that. Then once you pass that, you'll do the fellow craft and you go through the same thing. And then finally, you'll go through the Master Mason degree, which is really sort of the allegorical, you know, what I would call esoteric spiritual ritual of the three. Um, and this is where the candidate portrays Hiram of Biff, um, <coughs> undergoes mm-hmm. a symbolic death and resurrection um, and then after that, the person is a Freemason um, pending a final catechism. Once that occurs, the person is a full-fledged Blue Lodge Mason. And at that point in time, um, you can do one of a couple things. You can do nothing. Um, you can just stay in the Blue Lodge, or you can join one or two or both um, of the primary uh, high-degree Masonic bodies in the United States. There are other you know, um, side organizations, but the two biggies are the Scottish Rite and the York Rite, um, and these are open to any Blue Lodge Mason. Um, you can join one or the other. You can join neither, or you can join both of them. They're not mutually exclusive, um, and, and you, you, you know, it's the same thing. You just petition them to join. A lot of times after you become a Blue Lodge Mason and is registered in the um, Grand Lodge, um, you actually get an invite from them. Um, that's not unheard of. Um so so then that's open to you. And again, there's no time limit on this. You can wait five years, you can do it immediately. Um you can do do, do it at, not do it at all. Um it's completely up to the candidate if they want to go into the high degree system um of the and, and there are a couple other appendant bodies such as Yeds Grotto, you know, tall cedars, things like that. But the two biggies are the Scottish Rite and the York Rite.
2: Well the other one that I was very fascinated with um is is of course the Templars.
1: Right, right. The the Templars um the modern day Templars, that's actually the York Rite. Um Okay. The, okay, the York Rite um is is essentially um, what you would call Christian Freemasonry. Um it's it's it parallels the Scottish Rite in many ways, but it, it has one thing that no other Masonic um body has and that is a religious requirement. Um a specific religious requirement. Um, Uh Blue Lodge Freemasonry, in order to join it You have to believe in a supreme being God Um, In in the Masonic Lodge, this is what's called the Grand Geometrician Or the Great Architect of the Universe Um, You can be a Christian and join You can be a Buddhist and join You can be Jewish, Muslim, Hindu You know, know, a deist As long as you believe in a God Creator figure, it's not a problem If you're an atheist, you can't join And if you're an agnostic, you're not supposed to join Uh Once you get done the Blue Lodge the scottish rite has no such religious requirement. the york rite has no such religious requirement up until you get to the knights templar which is the final body of the york rite um, the york rite um, you know has the cryptic rites um, and has the you know you know the, uh, the, the the holy royal arch there's some bridge degrees in between the holy royal mm-hmm. arch the, the holy royal arch also turns up in the scottish rite but you have things like the red cross of babylon But in a nutshell, the end of the York Rite is the Knights Templar. In order to join them, in order to join the York York Rite Knights Templar, you have to be Christian. You have to uh, pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ. So if you're Jewish or Muslim or Hindu, um, the York Rite probably won't appeal to you as much as the Scottish Rite would just because it has no such religious requirement. There are instances, Barbara, and it's, more an exception to the rule and it does happen but again it's it's somewhat of a rarity I and mean, i've never I, i've only talked to people who've done it out of state in maryland where i am where i am um it, it i've never met anyone who has done this i know some people who, have, who are jewish or or muslim um who have joined the york right and have just stopped at the knights templar um and have just not joined the knights templar commanderies or encampments. they just stop they just say i'm not a christian so i'm not going i'm not going to finish the right most most Masons kind of consider that kind of sacrilegious. Um, you know, if you're going to join a high-degree body, you want to finish it. Um, but but I, I have heard instances that, if you know, if people who have joined the York Rite um, and have just not gone on to the Knights Templar, most Masons, when they join a high-degree body, um, want to complete it or go as far as they can with it. So the York Rite a uh, uh, Freemasonry and the Templars, which is the end-all, be-all, um body of that um is really what you would call somewhat you know christian Freemasonry um whereas mm-hmm. in the Scottish Rite, there's no such um religious requirement
2: right and and it what I found fascinating was that you can you can achieve up to a thirty second degree, but the thirty third degree is conferred upon you depending on how you have um lived your philosophy and and helped your fellow man.
1: That's right. The um, In the Scottish right, the Scottish right system is degrees 4 through 32. Um, the farthest you can go on your own is the 32nd. That's where I'm at. The 33rd degree is honorary. Um, you cannot solicit it. It has to be bestowed upon you. Um, there are various factors that can go into how that decision is made, um, but it is completely up to the Supreme Council, um, you know, in the valley, the local valley, who gets the 33rd. Um, you really have no say in it. You can't petition it or anything like that.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, what 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 hooked me in all of this, <laughs> if you will, is sure. that <clears throat> is that um, I I'm fascinated by by the different um, by the different degrees that you can get, and each degree, I would assume, um, has has some sort of a catechism or whatever, and, and you go through ritual and, and, and answering questions. and, But in the study of it, you're also developing a greater understanding of yourself on a deeper level than it, it's subtly done. It's not, you know, I don't think that any, any of you would say, oh, this is a spiritual journey just, but but that's exactly what it is. And it, it gives you a greater understanding of not only yourself, but the world you live in, and how you impact other people, and how you serve your community. And I think it's it, it, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, now, the book, The Royal Ark of Enoch, has to do with um, one of the degrees. And what do, what is it? The thirteenth degree? Is it? I can't remember.
1: Right, right. The, the, the thesis, the main thesis of the book, um, the Royal Arch. It, it's actually it, it's the Royal Arch um, of Enoch. Um, uh-huh. Oh, Arch.
0: Gotcha. It, it,
1: yeah, that's okay. Um, it's 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 part of the High Degree system. Um, it, and, and what it is is it's the thirteenth degree. It, it, the, the, the High Degrees um, come. But you, you have the Blue Lodge, you know, officially coming on the scene in England in seventeen seventeen. The High Degrees come later. Um, In the original high-degree system, um, which was was 25 degrees, it was the 13th degree. It is still the 13th degree in the Scottish Rite. In the York Rite, it is the 7th degree. Um, And it's the 7th in the York Rite. It's the 13th in the Scottish Rite. And it really is, uh, for all intents and purposes, it's really the highest degree of Freemasonry. Um, It's not numerically the highest degree. Um, but but as far as spiritually and and symbolically, it's really the end of the Masonic um, journey. Um, a lot of the rituals um, and degrees that come after the the Royal Arch, both in the York Rite and in the Scottish Rite, actually take place prior to the events of the Royal Arch ritual. Um, and of course, you know you know it, it should be thought of. You know, you you know technically numerically, you know, you get into the Scottish Rite, the the, thir- the the 32nd would be the highest numerical degree. You know, of course, the 33rd being honorary, which we just got into. But really, for for an esoteric end of the journey, um, you know, within Freemasonry, the 13th degree in the Scottish Rite is really where the story ends, and then you kind of go back in time, um, and and you kind of go back and 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 re you know relive events and the rituals. You know, some some of them predate the events of the Royal Arch ceremonial. You'll find this in New York right? also um with with this bridge degree um between the Royal Arch and the Knights Templar called the Red Cross of Babylon. Um and this, mm-hmm. this centers around my next book that I'm working on on masonry which actually takes place prior to the discovery of the treasure vault
0: in, 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 under
1: the holy ground. So
2: Okay, okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, so the really, so you know, just so the listeners are clear, really, when you get into the high degrees, I mean, the Royal Arch is at the you know the highest degree numerically, but spiritually, spiritually and esoterically, it's the highest degree. The, the the thesis of the book, and I'll just wrap up on this, and you can ask me something else, was that when this ritual was being developed in in Paris, France, in the 1740s, 1750s, the ritual is incorporating elements um, of the lost Book of Enoch. Um, which, which you know, you, you have Enoch, um, you know, being briefly mentioned in Genesis. The, the the book of Enoch deals with, you know, ideas of Enoch being um, becoming godlike, apotheosis, um, beholding the name of God as a form of Kabbalah, um, the restoration of wisdom, the learning of wisdom. All these themes turn up in the Royal Arts Ceremonial and its underlying ritualistic philosophy. Um, and, and the thesis of the book was, that this this ritual was incorporating elements of the lost book of Enoch prior to the book's official discovery in the West. Um, the book of Enoch, according to mainstream history, is is lost to Western civilization from around the second third century um, all the way up until 1773 when a uh, when a Scottish uh, traveler named uh, James Bruce returns to um, Europe with copies that he retrieves or discovers in Ethiopia. Um, that's 1773. They remain untranslated um, until 1821 when a copy, one of the copies that he brings back is finally translated um, into English at the Bodleian Library at Oxford University. But the thesis of the book was there must have been um, a lost or missing copy of the Book of Enoch out there that these Masonic ritualists um, and philosophers were relying upon to create this high degree um, ritual and uh, a lot of the surrounding degrees and, and underlying philosophies. Within the high degree masonic system, prior to the books, prior to the Book of Enoch's um, official reappearance in Western civilization.
2: Yeah, and and I think where I want to take people is in understanding that that Freemasonry is is based upon um, the story of Hiram, Hiram. Hiram, how do you pronounce? Hiram, I've always said Hiram Abiff. So is that the wrong pronunciation?
1: No, that that's right. That's the Blue Lodge. Um, right. Right, the Blue Lodge, it it, it varies um, a little bit in the high degrees. In the Blue Lodge, the way this works is, I'll just go through this briefly, and I won't give away any secrets or anything, but enough that the listeners will be able to understand. When you go into the Blue Lodge, you go through three degrees, entered apprentice, fellow craft master, Mason. Make a long story incredibly short. The first degree is really what you would call an introductory degree. Second degree is what I would call an explanatory degree. It's the third degree that is sort of the occult, gnostic, hidden, esoteric degree that involves death, death reawakening, rebirth, rediscovery, um, divine spark. Um, you know these very veiled esoteric spiritual mystery tradition themes. Um, this is what's going on in the in the third degree. In a nutshell, um, I mean, I just I can just describe the ritual briefly. There's a lot of symbolism and stuff going around, but. I'll just get into the ritual quickly. Um, The candidate portrays a character out of the Bible, um, or at least the name Hiram is mentioned in the Bible. It's debated whether this is the guy they're talking about, but it involves the building of Solomon's temple or the completion of it. Um, The architect is a man named Hiram Abiff, and he's finishing the temple. Again, there are several Hirams, Hiram King of Kir mentioned in the Bible, uh, some people debate this is actually Hiram Abith. Some people say Abith is actually mentioned by name. Some people say no, this is a veiled reference to somebody else. But at any rate, the, the candidate is actually portrays Hiram Abith. He's building Solomon's temple. The temple is nearing completion. Hiram Abith possesses the secret word, um, and it's the name of God. And it's through the correct pronunciation of this word that all wisdom is made possible. Um and it's called the it's called the word of a master mason. And he has promised to divulge this secret word um, to, to the people helping him build the temple upon the temple's completion. The temple is not finished, but it's almost done. Three fellow crafts conspire to extract the word from Hiram Abif prior to the temple's completion. Um, the candidate is accosted by candidates or these three fellow crafts who demand the word. The candidate, the, the Hiram Abif, doesn't give the word up. He, he, won't, he won't say it. Um, and he's murdered. His body is buried. Um, Solomon, King Solomon, recognizes that Hiram of has gone missing. He dispatches 12 fellow craft to go find the body, um, to go find, you know, and this is the candidate. And the candidate, to make a long story short, is brought back to life, is resurrected from death, um, has a substitute word whispered in his ear. It's not the true word. It's called the substitute word of a master mason. Um, And then, you know, he's brought back to life. The idea is esoterically and spiritually the divine spark is ignited. The the candidate has, is dead from his old life. He has been reborn into the light, reborn into esoteric wisdom. Um, and, and, you know, it, it has achieved a form of what you would call Gnostic Ascentio, um, born again, and now can affect positive change in the community. Um, and, and that's the esoteric philosophical underpinning of the third degree ritual. just just finish off on this. If you fast forward to the Royal Arch ceremonial, um, this is so important because this is the recovery or the restoration of this lost word of Hiram Abith. Um And this actually revolves around the construction of the second temple um, on, the, on the holy ground, on the, whole, on the temple mount. You know, we had Solomon's temple. Um, that gets destroyed by the Babylonians. Um, the Jewish people go into exile um, in the Babylonian camp. A Jewish governor named Zorobabel, whose name literally means the heart of Babylon, um, is dispatched by a Persian monarch named Cyrus the Great, to return the Jewish people back to the Holy Land and to construct the second temple, which is called the Temple of Zorobabel, um, the Babylonian Temple on the Holy Ground. Um, and it's during the construction of the, if, if you ever see the Scottish Rite, if you ever pay attention to Scottish Rite advertising or Scottish Rite marketing, a lot of times under it you'll see the catchphrase, rebuilding the temple. Um, this is what they 're talking about it 's the building of the second temple, and it 's during the construction of this second temple that the workers, these Jewish temple builders discover this hidden trap door that leads to the subterranean vault where this lost word um uh, this lost word of Hiram Abiff, has been stored um uh, for various reasons and and this word is stored back to Freemasonry back to mankind and and what what you have going on here is that the candidate is if you have a, what you have uh, the the idea is in the Blue Lodge you have this form of Gnostic ascension of reawakening of self discovery in the Blue Lodge by possessing the secret word the secret name of God the candidate actually is becoming God like it's, it's what it's the, the the correct term is apotheosis and in and as and as becoming a God like and I want to hashtag and underscore the word like the candidate uh-huh. is not God but he's God like the idea is that now the candidate not only can he affect positive change in the community, but it's almost his God-given duty to um, to be committed to public service and to really, you know, not only just go into the community, but to really go out and, and really modify community, you know, culturally change the community positively once this um, ritual has been bestowed upon you. At least that was the philosophical underpinnings back in the day, two, three hundred years ago.
2: Well, a great philosophy, and I, I think the other thing that that, um, that 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 drew me in so tremendously uh, was that that the two pillars um, upon which Enoch, we're going back to Enoch, folks, because sure. um, yeah, I, I just happen to really like the guy. Um, not real happy with the name they gave him as an angel, but we won't go there. Um, Metatron for heaven's sakes um it's like
1: a transformer
2: it, exactly i mean <laughs> but 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 anyhow um he was in the line of methuselah and noah and he knew that that you know he was uh, for for those of you not familiar with enoch he was taken up by god and he was educated in all the wisdoms and all of the um the mathematics and just just in everything that was wise and wonderful and he brought that wisdom and knowledge down to the earth plane and um knew that a flood was knew knew that the earth was going to be destroyed so um, they they um, they built they built two pillars and upon one of them they put all of the mathematical wisdom and knowledge that he had gathered and on the other one all of the esoteric knowledge that he had gathered knowing that 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 they would survive whatever holocaust came and they did and when they were rediscovered it was Pythagoras that translated the mathematical one. And it was my old friend Toth, Hermes, Mercury, that, that translated all of the esoteric knowledge that was, that was given. So in all of the, the Masonic protocols and history and story, you're interweaving some, some amazing spiritual characters and symbols that that for many people out there, um, you know, you know, their ears are perking up here and their eyebrows are going up, and it's like holy mackerel! I didn't realize that that, that was incorporated into some of the um, some of the philosophies and some of the uh, teachings that go on in in the Freemasonry. And it y- yes, Tahuti. Uh, um, no,
1: that, that's so, absolutely right. Yeah.
2: And, and it's no, just... but
1: you're 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 on a roll. Um, you are absolutely right. Um, the the idea is that Enoch comes down with the wisdom. Catch you, you're absolutely right. I couldn't have said it better myself. The the treasure vault um, is 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 the two pillars of Enoch. These are not if you're a Freemason and you're listening. These are not Yachin and Boaz. Those are the pillars of the Blue Lodge. The pillars of Enoch are not them. This is a source of never-ending confusion within Masonry. The pillars of Enoch are not Yachin and Boaz. Um, and you have the subterranean vault, um, the the pillars, and the treasure of Freemasonry. Um, And and the the, the way the pillars are restored is Enoch um, inscribes the name of God um, as an emanation of Hebrew Kabbalah um, on this delta, um, and he conceals it between the two pillars um, in the subterranean vault. This is under nine archways or arches, um, hence the name of the ritual, the royal arch of Enoch. Um, mm-hmm. And you're absolutely right. According to Masonic lore, the wine is breached, the, the, the vault is breached by um, by this character, Sos, you know, Hermes Tr- Trismegistus, um, and, and he restores the liberal arts, the esoteric, you know, wisdom back to reading and writing, which becomes the seven liberal arts. And Py- Pythagoras has his eureka moment, you know, right, I have found it, um, meaning mm-hmm. the word of God, um, and restores the mathematical pillar back to, um, back to mankind. I mean, if you want to see this arcana, um, in, in, in um, you know, in play. Um, the, the symbol of a Masonic um, worshipful master is the 47th proposition of Euclid. That's also known as the Pythagorean theorem. That's A squared plus B squared, always equals C. So one mm-hmm. side is the sun god Osiris. The other side is his virgin consort Isis. And the hypotenuse is the perfected child Horus. Um, you know, you have this being formed in the Federal District of Washington, D.C., um, architecturally, between the White House, the Washington Monument, and the Capitol, um, and of course the hypotenuse would be Pennsylvania Avenue. Pennsylvania is the Keystone State. Without an arch, you can't have without a keystone, you can't have an archway. And there's a reason why Pennsylvania is called the Keystone State. The Hermes, Trismegistus, Hermes or Mercury. If you've got a symbolic eye for this, um, and this especially occurs around college campuses, you will repeatedly see. Um, Hermes or Mercury um, hanging around colleges and universities. Um, you'll find this at Christ Church in Oxford, um, where, where in the Tom Quad, um, you know it's, it's the Christ Church, it's the Archdiocese um, of Oxford, um, probably one of the uh, most well-known of the Oxford's colleges. In the Great Quad, you won't have any Christian symbols. You have the fountain with Hermes Trismegistus on it, symbolizing the restoration. Of you know antediluvian wisdom, higher learning, mm-hmm. um my alma mater at College. The old sigil was Hermes Trismegistus um, again symbolizing higher wisdom um I mean I said th- you know you you have you go to um, I mean you'll find this um you know in, in lots of colleges at New York University. their library sits across from Washington Square with the archway, the marble archway in it, then oh, this is another royal arch emblem or symbol. Um, And, again, you always seem to find this around learning institutions, uh, and this also ties into the um, goddess Minerva. Um, She is sort of the female equivalent of these characters, um, and you'll find her all over the place um, in college, universities, and fraternities. Uh, You'll find her on the seal of the first college uh, established that offered degrees in civil engineering a la Freemasonry Union College, the Masonic logo under her We Are All Brothers, under the laws of Minerva. I'll go into this 10 times more detail, but, I mean, you know, you, you're absolutely right, Barbara. You couldn't have said it better, um, you know, and, and what you, you're right is, and this is what was really part of my journey was, you know, when you understand this stuff and, you know, it's like connecting dots. When you understand this material, you'll, you'll really see it, you know, you'll really begin to see it and why this is there and why this is here, and it won't be a mystery anymore. Um, you know, you'll understand it. I mean, and this is one of the great motivations for me for writing the, uh, the Royal Arts book,
2: yeah, no, it's it's. Um, I, I have found it tremendously fascinating. I I have I have a, a, a ridiculous question that's been really, really bugging me. And and a lot of the material it, it talks about the Ark of the Covenant, and and how big it was, uh, two and a half feet by three feet by two feet or whatever. It, it's it's really close to that, right?
1: Well, what, I, what you're dealing with now is when you get into the Ark of the Covenant. And this is really, um, you know, this is where you, you get into the realm of um, whether we are talking, you know, symbolic ritual or if this ritual is trying to convey some sort of real lost history. Um, the Ark of the Covenant ties into this um, in, in, the, in the Royal Arch ceremonial, and this is really especially true more for the York Rite Royal Arch than it is for the Scottish Rite, but they intertwine. Um, in, the, in, the, in the York Rite ritual, when the treasure vault is located, the ark, the the name of God sits on top of, and in some instances sits inside of the ark of the covenant. And this is the this is the ark of the covenant. This is the chest that the Hebrews um, carried around the Ten Commandments in, and you know Moses' staff. It's the ark of the covenant. Um, in the royal arch ceremonial, as and where the, where this really starts to get interesting is. Um, and I think that, you know if uh, i 'm going down a path you don 't want me to go, just interrupt me, but where this really okay. starts to get interesting is um, as the ritual sits today the the treasure vault and the Ark of the covenant are is discovered by Jewish temple builders building the second temple. Um, as the ritual was originally cultivated um, and this was something called the scotch master 's degree. This is one of the very early workings of the um, of the royal arch ritual, and this is likely the reason why. Um, the Scottish Rite bears the name The Scottish Rite um, If your listeners aren't aware The Scottish Rite is actually French in origin um, But it pays homage to these very early um, The name Scottish Rite pays homage um, to, this, to what I'm about to say And as well as these very early Masonic Lodges Coming up in Scotland Namely the Kill Winning Lodge um, Of which the poet Bobby Burns was a member But at any rate um, In one of these very early workings of the Royal Arch Ritual Called the Scotch Master's Degree The, the Treasure Vault um, is not discovered by Jewish temple builders. It's discovered by Scottish Knights Templar. Um, and, and it's this treasure vault on the um, holy ground discovered by the Scottish Knights Templars. Well, you have to begin to ask yourself, I mean, you know, and, and at least I did, um, when you when you start understanding this ritual and its symbolic importance and, and how it's being cultivated and who's, who's creating this ritual and why it's being created, and you get into these whole medieval Knights Templar themes you begin to ask yourself, is this ritual actually trying to convey, I mean, you know, are we, are we going, you know, some people will tell you, oh, this, this, these rituals are made up. This is just fantasy. This is just made up rituals. But I don't think that's the case anymore. Um, I, I, you know, I believe, you know, I'm, I'm becoming more and more convinced of this, that these rituals, and especially this royal arch, is trying to convey some sort of lost yet legitimate history. Um, and, you know, you begin to ask yourself, is this ritual trying to tell you, you know, about the Knights Templar, discovering the treasure vault, you know, on the holy ground? Did they discover the Ark of the Covenant? Was it esoteric wisdom? Is this the real Templar treasure? Um, And is this ritual, this royal arch ceremonial, is this some sort of real history that's being conveyed in a, a Masonic ritual ceremony, but it's actually trying to convey lost history? I think that's the case. I really do genuinely believe that's the case, just because of the symbolic importance of it. I can't prove it 100%. But when you get into these ideas of um, you know, you know, subterranean treasure vaults, um, Knights Templar treasure, Oak Island, um, you know, really you really begin to, you know, this you know, you know, come to become cognizant that this ritual is much more than pomp and ceremony, um pomp and oh, circumstance. And, yeah, you know, you no, know there's I, something I, really I, spiritually going on here.
2: Oh, no, I totally agree with you. And I and I do believe that one of the things that that most of us have difficulty grappling with is that we have all that ancient wisdom inside of ourselves and it's digging deep into ourselves when we where we actually find this kind of wisdom understanding and knowledge when we when we set the ego aside and we allow the spirit to soar and um
1: I totally agree with that and I think um I was just on another radio show and I was somewhat asked somewhat of a similar question and I think for me personally and I can't speak for other masons um, that's very important. This is just me speaking from my own personal. Um, I believe the Masonic rituals and the teachings for me um, have somewhat, you know, I don't want to sound too hokey or science fiction here, but I think it really has for me personally sort of expanded my consciousness to a great to, you know, I don't think I've become, you know, like I'm using more of my brain or anything like that. But I think that it's taught me to see the world and see things symbolically and on multi-levels right? and think, I mean, see, you know, you know you've asked me before, um, you know, just kind of ties in, you know, when you get into this symbolic interpretation with the Masonic symbols and the rituals and the allegory and the astrology and the solar allegories, you know, we were talking about this earlier today, about the scriptures yeah. being allegorical. Um, you know, and I think, I think in that aspect, it really has expanded my consciousness to, to a certain extent. And I, I think it's this also, um, and this study and this research, you know, and you've asked me this on other shows when we've done the movie shows. I mean, it definitely... I mean, you know, when I watch these movies and I start seeing these esoteric themes, I am much more able to pick up on these because of this 20 years of research and going through these rituals that I would never have seen, um, you know, you know, prior to this. I mean, I was watching today, um, you know, I'm writing this. You, you mentioned it at the top of the hour. I'm, I'm working on the second movie book. I mean, I was watching um, the, the Stargate movie um, with James Spader and Kurt Russell. And uh, mm-hmm. this is something I'm mentioning in the second book. I mean, I, I had no idea. Um, you know, I, I hadn't seen this movie in years. I mean, you know, this was probably back in the mid-90s I saw this thing. Um, but, I mean, I was just able to pick up on so many themes regarding, you know, you know, e- Egyptian themes of death and resurrection. And this, this, a lot of this movie ties into the Masonic um, novella written by Rudyard Kipling called The Man Who Would Be King, um, which was also made into a movie starring Sean Connery and Michael Cain. Um, Stargate mm-hmm. actually incorporates so much of that. And, and I guess the point I'm trying to make is just that I'll round off on this is you know, that it's definitely I think, you know, made me much more consciously aware and spiritually conscious if, if there's such a thing and symbolically conscious. Um and, and yeah. you know without going I mean I can definitely say this without a question of a doubt, without going through these Masonic rituals, those two books would not exist. I mean I, I can tell you that and your listeners without question. I mean if I did not become a Freemason and gone through those Masonic rituals and understood the spiritual and symbolic teachings of them those two books, both the cinema book and the royal arts book would not exist um as I sit here talking to, to you on the phone today.
2: Oh I, I totally believe it. And what I find fascinating is that that through the Masonic material that you have in your book it it's really clear that that, that Christianity came from the Egyptians.
1: Oh the, absolutely the, I mean this was something that you know, I, I kind of um, really wanted to put into the book, um, and I, I, you know, because I mean, it's so much of it ties into the Masonic ritual. Um, this uh-huh. sort of whole, re- this whole retelling, almost. Um, you know, the third degree of the death and resurrection of the twelve. You know, the twelve apostles, the twelve of fellowcraft. You know, but again, this. You know, it's an, it's a paralleling of the Christian or the Judaic Christian, but then you have to ask yourself, well, what's that paralleling? You know, what's that yeah. mirroring? I mean, of course, it's the sun. It's sun adoration. It's the Astro-theology, it's the Egyptian Osirian cycle of the death and resurrection of the sun god, Osiris, um, you know, his virgin consort, and of course all these themes um, turn up in Judeo-Christianity. In I mean, I got a whole, I mean, my goodness, I mean, I had the, the in the Royal Arts book, the, the, the pagan, solar, astrological symbolisms in Christianity and Judaism was so overwhelming. I think that chapter, chapter three, I think it's a hundred pages. Um, I mean, it could have been a book probably on its own, but I mean... Oh,
2: yeah. Totally you know, I mean, with
1: you. Yeah, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you have the death and resurrection of the sun man. Um, you know, the 12 apostles are, you know, the 12 houses of the zodiac. Uh, these are the 12 fellow craft in the ritual. These are the 12 tribes of Jew, uh, Israel. I mean, you have the whole thing with the procession of the equinoxes, with Judaism being, you know, the sun in Aries, the rams, and Moses growing the ram's horns. Christianity is the sun in the house of Pisces, the fish. and Of course, fish and water symbolism around Jesus. I mean, he washes the feet and likes to have his feet washed. Pisces rules the feet. Um, And, you know, going back in time, you have, you know, Judaism, Aries is a fire sign. I mean, you will find numerous um, fire, fire symbology with the Exodus um, and and things of that nature, the burning bush, um, you know, fire symbolism. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you know, and this was what was so important to me was tying these astrological solar themes coming from, you know, people say, oh, well, it's, Judea, it's Judaism and Christianity. Yeah, that's true. I don't disagree. But then you have to even go further and say, okay, what, what's Judaism and Christianity? You know, and even Islam, to an extent, you know, echoing. You know, it's it's the Egyptian. It's the sun. Um, it's the astrology. It's the astro-theology. Um, you know, oh, it's yeah. Micraism, um, You know, it's the Aleutian mis- mysteries. Um, you know, You, and, you know, yeah. it's these ancient mysteries that turn up over and over again. Go ahead. Sorry.
2: Yeah, no, no, and 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 I no you you know your material and it's great, and that's yeah, that's why I'm saying to you know most of the people here sitting are probably more spiritually oriented than Masonically, but what I what I'm hoping I can do is to convince them to read your book, because the synchronicity between um, the Egyptian and the Christian and 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 the Hindu and the Buddhist, and I mean all of them they they oh, yes. mirror one another over and over and over and over again, and so there's a message that we're being given over and over and over and over again, and the more we discover of that synchronicity, the more deeper we get into our own understanding of our place in the universe and and it's really. It's really so phenomenal to make all of those connections, and you know, I, I would sit here reading the book, and it would be holy shit. Did you, I, I talked to the cats? It was holy shit. Did you see that? Did you see that connection he just drew? Is that not amazing? The cats were not impressed, but I was. Um, and it just it it just it blows your mind. Um, explain to them. I'll say briefly, but I don't know that you can do that. The, the domes. The domes are, are symbolic of the journey of the sun. And that's, oh, that's why they absolutely are absolutely always... right.
1: Um the the I mean that's right. Just just to backpedal, just, just real quick. Um the the you know, I mean, you know, one of the things with the book was, you know, I get into the astrology, Kabbalah, um, mythology, comparative religion, Egyptian, um, Babylonian. Um, you know, these astrological symbols that come out of these ancient mystery schools and how they're being carried on in Freemasonry. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I'm i glad you picked up on this um, and, and appreciated it. So, I mean, I guess the point I'm trying to make is if you're interested in this material, I mean, Freemasonry is definitely the vessel or the preserver of these mysteries. And I mean, and one of the purposes of writing this book was to, to form these nexuses and these connections back in time, going way back to these ancient mystery schools um, and these self-improvement schools, um, you know, spiritual, you know, the Gnostics, spiritual awakening, you know, and how Freemasonry uh-huh. as a secret society was continuing on these traditions. So, I mean, if you're interested in, in ancient history and all these, you know, the Egyptian and the sun and astrology, you know, I think you'll be interested in the book. Then you get into architecture. You mentioned the dome. Um, that's absolutely right, Barbara. You, the, the, this comes from the work of um, two Renaissance masters named, um, Leon, Alberti, uh, Batista, and uh, Andre Palladio. Um, and they reinterpreted a Roman architect named, who's the godfather of architecture named Vitruvius. Uh, he was an architect um, uh, shortly after, um, you know, sec- first, second century, I want to say. Um, and and he, he is really a big-time Roman city planner and architect. And but uh, these two uh, Renaissance architects um, sort of reinterpreted his 10 books of architecture and out of it came the idea of, of the domed solar building and that the domed building was a solar temple of the sun god Apollo um, and it has really three applications. Um, it, 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 you know, on a government building such as our United States Capitol, um, it's a symbol of um, solar enlightenment, new age democracy. Um, this comes from the work of a Dominican friar who was an astrologer named Tommaso Campanella, who wrote a novella um, called *The City of the Sun*, uh, and when this journey, when this soldier gets to this new this new world, he goes to their capital city, which is called the City of the Sun. Behold, on the on the on this giant hill sits this giant domed building. Um, and again, this comes out of the works of Palladio and Bertista. The domed building is a temple of the sun god Apollo, the temple of Helios. Um, so the application is you have our United States Capitol as New Age solar light. And, of course, this is mimicked by all the state little, you know, the state Capitol buildings, which all have the mini domes on them. Um, then the next application is, of course, um, with the library, um, the domed building, the domed library, which you will find at Union College of Schenectady, in New York. Um, this is the domed building coming out of the vaulted quadrangle, which Thomas Jefferson rips off for the template of UVA. Um, and, and Union College is key to understanding and, and decoding all this. It's it's the, the aerial template um, is a, the sunburst. It's the sun coming out of the vault of Enoch. Um, the idea of the sun replacing the Ark of the Covenant as a emblem of, of esoteric wisdom comes from the one of the earliest um, Masonic degree certificates for the Royal Arch. Um, it's called the Hurd Plate. Um, I call it I just call it that because it was designed by a Boston lawyer named um, Benjamin Hurd so uh, if you look at the aerial template of union college it's the sun it's the domed library emerging from the vaulted quadrangle it's the sun coming out of the vault of enoch it's the restoration of higher degree wisdom um and of course you also find this at the bodleian library the domed um, Rad, uh, radcliffe camera um you know the bodleian being a temple of light enlightenment um where you can gain wisdom and This ties into why at Oxford University, the exclusive Masonic Lodge for Oxford University students is the Apollo Lodge. Again, Apollo is the sun god. Then the third application is, of course, what you'll find in the Baltimore Basilica, where I am, um, which has the dome on it. You go to St. Peter's um, at the Vatican, which has the dome on it, where um, the sun god Jesus, you know, or the sun god is worshipped under the name of Jesus Christ. You know, and you'll find this um, you know, it, it, it's all over St. Peter's, the solar symbolism. Um, if you go into the Baltimore Basilica where I am, the, the Freemason who designed it, you you enter from the west and walk east to worship the rising sun in the on Sunday morning. Um so the domed the, the domed religious structure, the domed church is the sun is where the sun god Jesus where the sun god is worshipped under the name of Jesus. Um uh, and those are the really the three applications of the domed Solar building. I go into this much more in depth in the Royal Arch of Enoch book, but this again ties into you know themes of esoteric spiritual architecture, sacred geometry, um, which is another component and element that I get into in the book.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's like I said. I I just every now and then I would you know I got a little bogged down, but then I would I would come across um, you know one of one of those elements, and it would be. Um, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. And and I would be off and running again. So, <laughs> yeah. it is top of it is top of the hour, though, and we're going to take a short break. Um, going to play Green Sleeves for you so that so that both Robert and I can get a, a drink of water and stretch, but we'll be back in 5. Okay, Robert?
1: Yeah, I'll be here. I'll be back in 5 minutes.
2: Okay, bye-bye. Talk. Welcome back, everybody. Um, let me grab Robert. You there, Robert? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Book Talk managed to drop me twice while we were having that little break.
1: <laughs> what, what happened?
2: Oh, I don't know. The switchboard goes funky, and I just, you no, know, I, it's I, kind I, the, of... No, I think the call
1: dropped. I had to call back twice. That's true.
2: Oh, well. Well, anyhow, our topic must be fascinating. Um, I did want to go back into... Um, a little bit of the history of freemasonry um sure. you know at, at least you know to within the last five four or five hundred years um the 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 masonry sort of as we sort of know it today started in the in, in the in the early to middle seventeen hundreds and i'm just curious is is there any um, material that that tells you the kind of men that decided to form it i mean y- 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 masonry is 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 founded on you know freemason masons you know stone builders but but yet the the actual organization as we know it today was not founded by stonemasons it was founded by actually some of you know intelligent you know well educated um in the intelligentsia in in europe and um to to my understanding yeah you know, you correct me if I'm wrong
1: well no, what you have um it depends on who you want to believe um you know you know Freemasonry exists um prior pri- it comes on the scene officially in seventeen seventeen um on june twenty fourth which is of course the summer solstice um which is you know the sun being the most powerful in the northern hemisphere it's three days after the summer solstice um the the masonry exists prior to that and it 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 attra- you know it's like you said it's a guild of stone workers um craftsmen it attracts people to it who are lawyers doctors i guess what you kind of want to call renaissance men who are interested in learning these secrets, being able to talk freely without having the King or the Vatican looking over their shoulders. Um, People who are interested in just esoteric thought, spiritual development, um, you know, and you, you know, you have with, you know, the actual stonemasons, you know, the incorporation of sacred geometry, you know, sacred symbolism um, in buildings and architecture. Um, So, you know, it, it draws to it, you know, um, you know what you would call like you know Renaissance men, enlightened men. Um, where it actually comes from? Uh, I mean, again, this is debatable. Um, shortly after Masonry is founded, a guy named James Anderson, who is very in, in, you know important in this, he's uh, a Presbyterian minister writes uh, the constitutions of Freemasons, which are its bylaws. You know, kind of re, you know resets down the rituals. Uh, you know, even has you know you know the bylaws, you know things like that. Um, But he Uh writes this legendary history of masonry, tracing it all the way back um, to the biblical stoneworkers, the the guys who built things like the Tower of Babel, things like that. Um, A couple years later, this very eccentric um, English Catholic Jacobite uh, living in France named Andrew Michael de Chevalier Ramsay in 1737 issues his famous oration um, to the Masonic Lodges. And he says, um, and this is critical to understanding the history of masonry, um, he says, um, um, you know, he says, I don't really disagree with Anderson about, because Anderson gets into the whole thing with like, some of the pyramids and, you know, the Gothic cathedrals and things like that. He says, you know, I don't really disagree with Anderson about, um, you know, you know the, the stone building aspect of it. Um, he said, I don't really disagree with that to an extent. He said, but but masonry, the, 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 the masonry, Freemasonry, um, you know, the 1717 version of Freemasonry um, does not come from biblical stoneworkers. He says Freemasonry is an invention of the Knights Templar, and he comes out and essentially says in this oration that um, Freemasonry is um, a, a product of this Roman Catholic Knights Templar who encountered these vestiges of the ancient mystery religions um, during their time in the Holy Land, and they exported this back to Europe, and out of this came Freemasonry and the rituals um, and things like that. But what, what Ramsey does is he injects this heavy dose of Roman Catholicism into Freemasonry, which you'll find in the high degrees. But in a nutshell, you know, some of the men behind Freemasonry, some of the early um, people behind this, um, in the early days in England, you'll find a man named John Theosophus de Saulier, who's an early Grand Master. Um, he's a dean, um he's a Don at Christchurch at Oxford. Um, I mean he's very well read. Uh, another guy um who flirts with Freemasonry prior to seventeen seventeen was a Rosicrucian and a mystic and an alchemist named Elias Ashmole. Um he was also an Oxford lawyer. Um, and you have the Ashmolean Library or excuse me, museum at Oxford. He collected odd items, um, weird items which you can find on display um, at his library, um, at Oxford. Um, he, he, he talks about being initiated into a of masonry. And then of course you have, later on, you have, uh, James Anderson with his legendary history. You have Andrew Michael Ramsay, Um, he's critical of all this. Um, then you get into, um, the high degree systems coming out of the college of Claremont. Um, and this is, you know, this is the Roman Catholic rites of perfection being developed by the society of Jesus um as part of the counter reformation. This is where the Royal Archives stems from. And again you have these very Enochian Roman Catholic themes of, an, of apotheosis going on in the high degrees, which kind of go against some of the things in the Blue Lodge, uh, which are more which is much more eagle, you know, egalitarian, democratic. In the high degree bodies you have much more Roman Catholic themes of apotheosis. Um, then in America you get into again, of course, you have the Illuminati of seventeen seventy six. Um, and again they have their own degree systems. These are, you know, again, you know, very Jesuit themed rituals of Adam Weishaupt, Xavier Zwack. Then you move to the United States. Um you have the creation of the Scottish Rite in eighteen oh one by Frederick Doucho. Um again, you know, very well read man. Um the New York Rite is created by a guy named Thomas Smith Webb, again, an entrepreneur, a renaissance man. He's um, critical in the creation of the York Rite and the Knights Templar in, in the United States. And then you fast forward with the Scottish Rite. One of the later um, sort of tweakers of the uh, the Scottish Rite rituals uh, is everyone's favorite conspiracy uh, whipping boy, Albert Pike, uh, the Confederate general, the Copperhead. Uh, he becomes sovereign grand commander of the Scottish Rite in 1859, position he holds to his death uh, into 1891 most notably uh, known for uh, plagiarizing plagiarizing the works of a French mystic named Elathis Levy, uh, who who wrote a book called uh, High Degree Magic, The Rites of High Degree Magic. This becomes the raw material, which becomes the um, Morals and Dogma of the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry, published by Albert Pike in 1871. Um, and, And, I mean, you know, so you have, I mean, again, you know, I'm just naming some of the ritual guys. I mean, you have... Um, in the United States, DeWitt Clinton, former governor of New York. He is critical to all this, um, in in understanding the, um, the proliferation of the high degree system in the United States and how the high degrees were used, um, to formulate state policy across state lines. Um, this gets masonry into trouble in the mid 1820s when, when you had this very big Masonic backlash going on stemming from something called the William Morgan affair. But, um, you know, masonry existed prior to 1717. This is irrefutable, um, but it comes on the scene in 1817, uh, excuse me, 1717 officially. Um, and it's it's really being developed and it attracts just a lot of men of letters and renaissance men to it. Um, and, you know, throughout history, you know, you, you always find, I mean, you know, we, we could go through a laundry list uh, of famous people and even some notorious people who, who have been uh, Freemasons over time.
2: Well, yeah, you got Benjamin Franklin, and, and another name that everybody who's listening will recognize is Manley P. Hall. Um, oh, sure. So, so yeah, that, absolutely. So that, I mean, you
1: have. I mean, you go back in time, and you want you know you get into some of the later. You know, you, you get into the earlier figures. I mean, you get George Washington, DeWitt Clinton, Benjamin Franklin, um, Adam Weishaupt, the founder of the Illuminati, who was also a Jesuit. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Mozart, the composer, was a Freemason. Um, numerous founders, uh, you know, the signers of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution um, were Masons. You move forward to the 20th century, Manly P. Hall, um, the great Canadian mystic, was a Freemason. Um, Aleister Crowley was a Freemason, um, a little more controversial figure there. Um, He was a Freemason. Um, You know, you get into the presidents of the 20th century, Franklin you know, FDR, uh, Gerald Ford, Harry Truman, uh, the founder of the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover, was a Freemason. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, you you can really get into a you know a historical all star team um, when it oh, comes gotcha. to uh, famous famous Freemasons.
2: And you know, one of the one of the major um, complaints is that 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 it, especially with the Illuminati. Um, was that they were trying to form a new world order, and I, I don't think that that most people understand that the United States is the new world order.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, I mean, if and, you're going to, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry.
2: No, no, and, and it's just that, that you know it was it was formatted and and put together by not Christian men but deist men who. Who believed in the supreme being but weren't necessarily um, a christ of Christian orientation, and and again thinkers and and I want to throw something out there that 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 probably someone else has and 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 it just occurred to me that that while Freemasonry has has been at the birth of the foundation of a lot of changes in time. That that perhaps as masons they do help to create the foundation for the building of new eras as it comes as far as uh, new paradigms of thought and philosophy.
1: Well, I don't I don't I don't disagree I don't disagree with that um, per se. Um, I mean you are absolutely right. You have um, you know Freemasonry being critical you know being important. Um, you know, in the foundations of the United States. I mean, you'll find, you know, the fingerprints of Freemasonry all over the Declaration of Independence, all over the United States Constitution, all over the architecture of the early cities in America. Um, You know, the founders, um, a lot of them were Freemasons. Again, the guy who's really picking up the mantle was a guy named Whit Clinton. Um, He he is huge in all this with the Erie Canal. Uh, That's a whole other story. Uh, But then you have you know, Freemasonry kind of carrying on these Enlightenment Renaissance principles. I mean, and then you have the birth of the United States, this New World Order. You know, well, what's the, if you're going to have a New World Order, what's the Old World Order? Um, I mean, this is, of course, European monarchies and Vatican rule. So if we're, not, if we're going to do away with the Old World Order, we've got to have a New World Order, which is basically a republic based on Masonic Enlightenment principles. Um, and again, you, you're absolutely right, this sort of synchronizes with the whole, you know, the great seal of the United States, thus begins the new order of the ages. Well, what's the ages? You know, again, this is the Platonic year, the age of, you know, you go back in time, the age of Aries, the Ram, the ending age of Pisces, and the coming now into the age of Aquarius, which is, you know, enlightenment, um, equality, uh, things of that nature, which the United States, you know, was almost, like you said, you know, synchronized um, to birth at the same time with this. It's uncanny. Um, and, and it really seems to be more than just, I mean, at least I think it is, I mean, you know, the great seal of the United States is just basically heralding this new Aquarian age, um, for lack of a better word, you know, via Freemasonry, uh, as it were. Um, and I get into much more into this in the book. Um, but no, I, I totally agree with you, Barbara. I mean, it uh, I, I, I don't, I don't dispute at all what you're saying.
2: Well, it seems to me that it attracts men who are, um, searching for something um above and beyond what the physical reality provides.
1: I think that's true to an extent. I think Freemasonry is is one of those sort of organizations that you're going to get out of it what you put into it. Um, you know, you 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 know the, you know, I mean I'm not I mean I am a Freemason. I'm not gonna come on here. I mean spiritual knowledge and spiritual thought and Gnosis is part of it, but that that is usually you know, a lot of guys who join it, a lot of men who join it just go up, go through the rituals, um, don't really understand what they're going through, pay their, pay their yearly dues, and you never see them again or you see them occasionally. And they, and they don't really understand the rituals and the, and the deeper meaning of it. And this was, again, part of the motivation for me to write this book. Um, I, I mean, if you read the Masonic Giants, um, you know, the, like you said, the Manly P. Halls, the Albert Mackeys, the Albert Pikes, you know, they all talk about this. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of a lot of people who join Masonry um, aren't introduced to this, um, and again, this was sort of the motive, one of the motivating factors for me to write the Royal Archive Enoch book, I mean, and, and it is important within Freemasonry, um, you know, but I mean, let's be honest, you know, we have our bingo nights also, and our charity drives, and you know, like you said, driving around go-karts with the Shriners and things like that, that's part of it too, um, and I don't dispute that, but you know, you know, you know. If you really take the time to understand the rituals and the symbols, um, and believe me, I, I speak from experience. If, if you take the time to really investigate and you know, read, you know, I dare say, my book. Um, I think a whole other world will become opened up to you. Um, and again, this was one of the motive motivating factors of uh, taking the time to just lay all this down and, and write the Royal Arch book.
2: Well, I I agree with you because when you when you look at the scenarios um throughout throughout the bible um a lot of people tend to think that 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 that's just you know it just happened to in a in, in a in a uh a snapshot of time but the reality is it you know a lot of the major things that happen in the bible have happened in in um in Egypt, in Rome, in, you know, going back through history. I mean, it's, 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 we're repeating history. Oh, you know, those who don't understand history are cursed to repeat it.
1: And Well, that's right, I think that's right, and a lot, a lot of the uh, stuff in the Bible is also occurring in the stars, um, in the heavens, not down here on Earth. Um, and, of course, the Bible really, you know, you break this down with the Great Ages, you know, the Platonic year, the sun being in the house of one sign for 2000 years, you know, you have the age of Taurus, the bull, um, you know, which is the Egyptian Ankh, um, which is the atheist bull worship in Egypt. Then of course the sun goes into Aries, the Ram. And we have Judaism, which is, you know, you know, the Aryan age lawgiver, Moses, who grows the ram's horns, you know, Aries is the uh, fire sign. So, you know, the Israelites are led out of Egypt, you know, with pillars of fire, gets the name mm-hmm. of God through the burning bush. Um, and you know, you know, what's it comes down from the mouth Aries the Rams Moses comes down from the 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 mouth sees the Hebrews worshiping the symbol of the old age, the golden bull which is nothing but the sun uh, in in the house of Taurus. I mean, that, that's why it's golden. You know, the golden calf. It's the sun in the house of Taurus. You know, what what is Aries the Ram? You know, he gets mad that you know the Israelites are worshiping the sun in the old house. Um, and this, you know admonishes them not to do this anymore. So then we have Judaism for two thousand years, and then of course we get the Piscean fisherman, um, you know, who feeds his followers with two fishes. This is now the sun mm-hmm. going into Pisces, the fish, um, you know, leaving Aries the ram. Um, and of course now we have the water worship and the fish, the fish worship. Um, and you know this is you know the, what's the opposite house of Pisces, you know, Virgo the virgin. So we have P- the Piscean fisherman being birthed by the virgin. So I mean, all, you know, and then we have, you know, we're, we're, you know, when at Luke twenty two ten, and it's interesting, that it occurs at that number because twenty two ten is of course, you know, you you'd look at the, you know, the numbers of twenty two, two one zero. I mean, we have the date of December twenty first, two thousand twelve, all right there. Um, you know, this is the end of the age of Pisces, the end of, you know, the start of Aquarius, and of course at Luke twenty two ten, the the apostles asked Jesus, the sun god. He said, you know, where are you going to go when you leave the house of Pisces? What happens next? And Jesus tells him, you know, you know I, 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 hey, go go, plot your Bible and look at Luke 22.10. He said, go into the city, find the man carrying the water pitcher, and follow him into the house he goes into, meaning I'm going into the next sign of the man carrying the water pitcher, the earthen water pitcher, which is, of course, Aquarius. Um, mm-hmm. So we have the start of the Aquarian Age, which is, um, you know, sort of um, – of the sun in Aquarius is sort of the absence of religion um, is deism, and of course this ties into Freemasonry and the you know and I get into this much more in the Royal Arch book. Um, the birth of the United States seems to be the herald of this new Aquarian Masonic age, as it were. Um, it's very deep waters. It's very deep symbolism. Um, but again, it was one of the motivating factors to explain all this um, of writing the Royal Arch book was to see this stuff symbolically, not literally.
2: Mm-hmm Oh yeah. And, and it does feel as though, as though I, I'm hopeful that the people are beginning to see how, how, how information esoterically and spiritually is out there symbolically if we take the time to look for it.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, I mean, that that's, that, that that's the whole, you know, that's the whole thing. I mean, it's, um, you know, you know, it, it's it's to look at this stuff, you know, you know, spiritually and, and esoterically. Um, and I think, you know, again, when you get into these esoteric religious symbolisms, um, you know, which, which is what I was just talking about, you will find that this this material, this arcana, this esotericism, um, you know, or this esoterica, that's probably the better word, is veiled, is being is, is communicated to you in these Masonic rituals and their philosophies. Um, it, it's it's there for the study, um, you know, and not all Masons do it. Um, it's there to the Mason who unveils himself of this knowledge. You know, you know, Albert Pike talks about this, you know, you know, Masonry conceals its secrets even from ourselves. And what, what he means when he says that is, you know, you know, you know, we, you know, the material's there, but it's only made available to the Mason who takes the time to study it and unveil these great mysteries. And again, this was really, again, you know, one of one of the big, motivations of writing this royal arch of enoch book was to present this material break down this material the bible on a symbolic level and also like i said how how the book of enoch relates to all this um because you'll find with the new and old testaments this very heavy enochian um, astrological theme you know this is probably one of the main reasons why the book of enoch uh, was left out of the out of the Bible is because the book of Enoch really provides the astrological key. If, if you understand, if you read the Bible and you understand it as an astrological allegory, the book of Enoch is the key that unlocks this. Um because in the book of Enoch, um you have an astrological book that essentially says, you know, you know, if you want to become godlike and you want to become, you know, be, you know, you want to become you know, deified Study the stars, study the sun, study the track of the moon, um, and yeah. you know you say to yourself, okay. And if you apply that to the Bible, you will find that the Bible, both Old and New Testament, is nothing more than astrological allegory from start to finish.
2: Oh yeah, A- absolutely. And and I think that that's that's another thing that that you know I am hopeful that people will pay attention to that that. Um, you know there are so many messages out there that are staring us right in the face, and to take the time to not only to absorb them, <clears throat> excuse me, not only to absorb them, but but to sit with them and 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 sort of let them sink in and and awaken in you an understanding that is deeper than what you had. That's one of the the the, the um. Most enjoyable things about you know that I'm availed is that I have the time to do the study. I have the time to you know be drawn by something and and, and be able to go into it and dig into it and play with it and and you know bring it into um, bring it into functioning within my perception, which is which is really a very exciting thing, and and today. People are so caught up in just survival that that they don't really have the time to do this. But that you you, you know you spent 20 years working on this book, you can tell, and um, and, and you can also tell that there was probably a tremendous amount of material that you didn't put in there, but but that that you know it would be even more fun to see what you left out. Uh, yeah, as,
1: you know, I, no, I'm sorry, you mean to interrupt? Go ahead.
2: No, I I I think that you know I I would love to see you publish what you left out as book two.
1: Well, I'm actually I'm actually writing another book on Freemasonry, um, which is gonna you know go, you know I'm I'm continuing on with this. Um, this book is called I'm actually writing two books right now. The second movie book and this work of fiction I'm working on, but I've actually also begun writing, and it's pretty well underway. A third, uh, not, well, it's, it's a third book. It's the second book on Freemasonry. It's called Freemasonry in the Path to Babylon, um, where I'm going to flush out even more of this esoteric, you know, going to revisit Washington, D.C., get into more of this esoteric symbolism, um, get into some of the utopian novellas, you know, um, that 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 go into all this. Um, you know, you know, you know, you know, that are you know, to turn up in architecture and things like that. Uh, I'm going to get into some more of the history of the high degrees, of course, the Society of Jesus. John D. will be talking more about that. Uh, I'm going to revisit the federal district. There was some material I left out of the Royal Arch dealing with um, with uh, the Washington Monument and St. Paul's Cathedral um, in in London. Those are um, very Masonic um, buildings. Um, They have uh, sacred geometry in them. (laughs) all over the place. Um, and But but right now I'm actually writing, um, and I'll just wrap up on this, and this is something I wanted to just sneak in here real quick. Uh, I'm writing the second movie book, uh, Cinema Symbolism Two, which you mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, and I'm writing this work of fiction. Um, I just wanted to get this in here real quick. Um, as I wanted to specifically mention this, because um, the last time you, I was on with you, um, we were talking, I don't want to change the subject, unless you want to, but I just want to get no, this in real it. quick. Um, sure. You were asking me last time, the last time I was here, and it hit me like a ton of bricks the next day, we were talking about Star Wars and the Joseph Campbell monomyth and and the, the solar hero being like Luke Skywalker and Harry Potter. It was the last time I was on with you. It's probably a couple months ago now. Um, and you asked me, you said something to the effect of, is there ever a woman? Is there ever the solar heroine? And I kind of, I, I, it didn't come to me. Um, I got into, like, Ellen Ripley of, 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 of Aliens, um, which she does qualify. But the biggie, and I couldn't believe this, I, 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 just, I it just didn't come to my mind. Uh, the very next day um, after the interview, I was up in my gym, and I, I was uh, working out, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, and I said, how did I miss this? How did this not come up? You asked me, who who is the solar heroine who is combating darkness um, and is on this monomythic? Journey, a la the Joseph Campbell monomyth. Um and it is there is one. Um and I I didn't get it in last time. It came to me the next day up at the gym. Um and it's not a, it was a movie, but it's much more the T V show. Buffy the vampire slayer um is of your course. solo heroine. Yeah, who does pyres and is your manichean <laughs> Gnostic uh warrior and you got all kind of you know, you got the watcher element and then the Hermes character with the with the guy who oversees her. Uh, I mean you, bat, you know she battles cabalistic golems uh yeah Buffy the vampire slayer is your solar heroine
2: had to be one i mean oh absolutely it had
1: to be. Hey, I, it, 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 I was i was up at the, i was sitting there and it was weighing on me. And i think you know i know there's one in the book how did i not uh bring this up and i was sitting there and i was like oh it's Buffy the vampire slayer
0: how did i not get that in <laughs>
1: Um, so so just to backpedal a little bit, not to get too far off the Royal Arch and Freemasonry, but to go back to your last interview, who is the solar heroine, Sarah Michelle Gellar, uh Buffy the Vampire Slayer, much more the TV show than the movie?
2: Uh-huh. Okay. Somebody did ask in, the, in specifically in the chat room, and, and because she's been, you know, She's been following right along here the entire time. If you could go into the Dan Brown books just a little bit with the symbology in there, because she did ask about them.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, this is good too because this ties into uh, the movies um, and the and the Royal Arch book. Let me just start off by saying um, the Royal Arch book ends with some Masonic movies, um, and of course this was my motive, my inspiration for writing the the cinema book. Um, at the end of the Royal Arch, the very end of the Royal Arch book, the final chapter, I wanted to bring the book up to the 21st century. And I saw I wanted to talk about some Masonic and Enochian themes um, that I was seeing in popular movies. And, of course, you know the rest of the story. I mean, I, I was seeing this stuff in other movies and now, you know, hence cinema symbolism. Um, but some of the movies I actually took on in, 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 um, in the Royal Arch um, were things like the National Treasure movie. Um, And I'll get to the Dan Brown material in a minute. Uh, But like the National Treasure movie, this is one of the key movies that started me on this journey because the National Treasure movie, the very first one, is actually the Masonic Royal Arch Ritual. I mean, it's the location of the Masonic, quote-unquote, Templar treasure um, beneath the holy ground in this subterranean vault, which is exactly what the Royal Arch of Enoch ceremonial is. So if you want to see a Masonic ritual on screen, um, check out... Um, the the National Treasure movie. But one of the other movies that came out at this exact same time was the Dan Brown, um, The Gucci Code movie, which is a, a movie that I took on inside the Royal Arch book. Again, it's the last chapter. I think it's, it's um, the 15th chapter. It's, it's the final chapter. I think it's chapter 15. It's actually, the, the chapter is actually titled after a line um, in the Dan Brown uh, movie, and I, I am sure it's in the book the actual title of the chapter is So Dark the Con of Man. Um at any rate the the, the Da Vinci Code movie also has these same sort of Royal Arch Enochian um themes in them. Um and what what it has to do with in, in the in in the Da Vinci Code, um are you still there, Barbara or did I just drop out? No, I'm here. Okay. I, I thought I I thought the call may have just dropped. What what you have going on is Um, We talked about this earlier, about how this degree, this this Royal Arch degree, is really the restoration of all this antediluvian wisdom. It's the restoration of lost yet legitimate knowledge. It's the 13th degree in this original right of perfection. It's the 13th degree in the Scottish Rite. Well, if you pay attention to the Da Vinci Code movie, the number 13 will constantly appear on screen, and it, it is constantly turning up. Um, whenever wisdom or knowledge is required, um, I mean, and, and the two examples, I mean, there's more than this, but the two that I, re- I just remember off the top of my head was there's the scene where the clue is left on the Mona Lisa, which which leads them, which furthers the story along, leads them to the next clue. Um, and if you pay attention to when Tom Hanks is going down in the elevator, um, you'll actually see on the keypad that the Mona Lisa is kept in Hall 13 of all things. And again, this is this <sighs> reference to this 13th degree, this you know. Um, knowledge degree, the restoration of knowledge and wisdom. So anytime knowledge or wisdom is needed, um, the number 13 comes up. You'll see this again later in the movie when the keystone, this clue, and I mean the keystone is a royal arch symbol from time and memorial. I mean, I mean, a keystone is one of the key prime premier royal arch symbols. The keystone is in the back of the van. The driver's driving the van, and the guy pays attention. He says, why is a lowly driver wearing a Rolex watch? And just quickly, they zoom in on the watch. Of all things, and I've watched the scene and paused it a 100 times to make sure this is correct. The time on his watch is actually 1-12. So if you add 1 plus 12, you get the number 13. So anytime uh-huh. wisdom or knowledge or keystone is around, the number 13 will turn up. And this happens over and over again in the Da Vinci Code. Um, and it happens again, um, believe it or not in the second national treasure movie, um, when they need, when, when the characters, when the Nick Cage character needs about whatever it was in, in that, in that movie, the, the resolute desk or whatever it was, or the, the, the secret burial chamber, you know, the ink and gold or whatever it was, Riley, who was a scientist, says, Oh, I talk about this in my book. He said, I've unraveled the mystery in my book. It's in chapter 13. Um, so whenever this turns up and it and it's in relation to a wisdom or knowledge or clue or the furtherance of knowledge or knowledge is required to solve a mystery and the number thirteen turns up, this is a straight um esoteric reference to this Royal Arch of Enoch ritual, the thirteenth in the Scottish Rite and the Thirteenth in the Rite of Perfection. Um and again if you're interested in this material, uh, it's in the Royal Arch of Enoch book and of course I go into much more of the symbol cinema symbolism in the second book. Um which we've done two shows on,
2: oh yeah, no, it's um i I have to admit that that i when I go to the movies now, I'm kind of there's a part of me looking for symbolism, looking for um a hint that that something is there to awaken something else inside of me it, it does it does make the way you look at movies a lot different, and you know the uh the the two, the you know, there are a couple of um, movies that, that, you know, I've seen kind of of late that really do kind of fit into, you know, your stuff, but I know you haven't seen them, so it's silly to, to suggest, but I, I really, had, you know, a couple, Interstellar and the other was Avatar. Would be fun for you to watch. I know that you have to probably watch these movies a hundred times before you get all of the stuff into it. Um, Somebody in the in the um, in the chat room did ask about the Sphinx, and I do recall something about the Sphinx in the book. I think.
1: The what was it?
2: The Sphinx in Egypt. The the Sphinx the. The Sphinx S P. Oh, the Sphinx! Oh, the Sphinx! The Sphinx.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, um, I don't it's the it's the guardian of the pyramids. Um, you know, it's a wisdom symbol. The riddle is, you know, you know, you, you will you know, you will find um, you know, the the whole idea with with the, the the Egyptian tie into this, this comes out of some Masonic monitors that get into masonry, um, building you know, building the pyramids and the pyramids aren't really tombs, their initiation falls into the mysteries. That's probably some truth to this um the Sphinx is a guardian um of, of the pyramids. Uh you know, it, we could speculate all night as as to how old this thing is. Um there's evidence that it was once in a jungle because of a, the side of it. it looks like rainwater trickling down the side of it the way it decayed. Um mm-hmm. you know, you know the, 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 there is evidence, Manly P. Hall talks about this. We talked about um I, I guess I get into it briefly in the book, um was That, um, you know, there there is some suggestion, um, you know, we talked about earlier about the the great ages and and the Bible being a measuring guide for these astrological ages that last every 2,000 to 2150 years. Um, The current age of Aquarius, which we have just entered, um, the ending age of Pisces, which we are leaving. And then, of course, 2,000 years before that was the age of Aries the Ram. And then 2,000 years before that is, um, you know, the age of Taurus the bull. The, the the great ages. Um, it has been suggested that um, as part of the Egyptian mysteries that the Sphinx and specifically the Sphinx's nose um, was a measuring device somehow, was an astrological measuring device um, for the sun and these astrological ages um, and that the Sphinx's nose um, somehow was some sort of calculator um, that measured the precession of the equinoxes in the platonic year and of course the conspiracy theory behind this is that, that if this got found out, um, you know, you know, the, the, you know, it, it, the people that it, it, the, the you know it didn't want to become out there that this was the case. Hence, the nose was blown off of the Sphinx um, when it was intentionally destroyed. That's the theory behind it. So, the idea of the Sphinx being this measuring device for the Platonic year—that's certainly possible. I get into it briefly in the book, but no, um, just just to wrap. There are loads of Masonic um monitors, including Anderson's Constitution, that talk about the flooding of the Nile, um, the measuring of the Nile, um, the improvement of geometry and the pyramids um, you know, being tokens of uh sacred astrological architecture.
2: Yeah, no, it's, it's it, it 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 does appear that that um the written language and the astrological and, and the astro the astrology and the astronomy all, all sort of just exploded on humanity at one particular point in time, thousands of years ago, and it makes great sense to me that that uh, that there were keys to awakening that that occurred, and and the pillar, the pillar stuff just makes great sense to me that that someone was finally able to understand what were what was on the pillars and you know shared the information but not what I find interesting but not to everyone but it, it got shared with you know those with eyes to see and ears to hear so that so that there there was an echelon of people who had access to the wisdom and they used it you know Sometimes to their advantage and sometimes to the service of humanity, and so you get you get you know philosophers throughout time that that speculate on on so much stuff that again leaves the symbols and keys and, and and most of the most of the material that they are speculating upon has to do with the the Greek and the Roman and the Norse gods and what they really meant and how to apply those those parables, if you will, or their stories to the current time and learn from it and grow from it. And it, it appears that we haven't learned a lot because we seem to keep repeating these stories over and over again.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, it kind of seems to be that way. I mean, some, some people have claimed, you know, Nostradamus and, and John D also thought this is, believe it or not. So did Adam Weishaupt. out that, um, you know, was sort of the thing was, um, you know, you know, the, the, that the timing was everything and that, you know, um, you know, some of this stuff couldn't occur unless there were these astrological alignments and you can get into the argument is, you know, is it man studying the stars or is it the stars affecting us and our unconscious mind and the planets, And we're just, we're, we're reacting not um, being proactive. Um, you know, it's an interesting paradox, but I mean, you, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, you get into history, um, you know, there has been many scholars, Um, I mean, you know, I I talk about, you know, the Bible being symbolic and, you know, this astrological key, um, a lot of, you know, you know, and I, mean, I really kind of break it down, but this has been certainly suggested. I mean, Manly P. Hall talks about it, you know, Albert Pike hints at it. Um, and of course the Masonic rituals, um, you know, I think really kind of, um, you know, are are retelling this story, but it's like you kind of said, it's, 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 if you go through it without this information, I mean, look. when I went through the ritual um, back in 1990, uh, let's see, this was 1997. um, I mean, I kind of didn't really understand. It wasn't until years later um, until I really got into, started, you know, reading the Albert Pikes of the world and the Manly P. Halls of the world that I, you know, okay, now I see what's going on here, you know, and then you go back to the lodge and you watch the ritual. I mean, and you will clearly see, um you know what 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 these rituals are trying to veil, but if you if you go into it with really no knowledge um you know you know, you 'll you'll kind of be shell shocked and you 're not going to really understand what you went through i mean and and again, this was one of the motivating factors was to write the book because um a lot for me at any rate, what I was finding out was that this material was kind of like scattered all over the place you know you could find a little of it in Albert Mackey and a little bit in Manley P Hall and some in Albert Pike and you know some in James Anderson. Um, and and what what again the Royal Arch of Enoch book was kind of what, what one of my motivation one of the purposes was was to create this giant you know compendium sort of this all you know one for all go to guide both on esoteric Freemasonry but not only in the high degrees but on the Blue Lodge as well that just kind of answered all the questions regarding the esoteric symbolism the astrology where it was coming from you know I I I've been criticized a little bit people have said oh well the, the, this this idea of Jesus being the sun God and, and the Bible being, you know, the solar astrological legend. Um, this is the world. you know, this is the world of conspiracy theories. Um, you know, this is the conspiracy theory world. If you think that you understand nothing. Um, many, many scholars in history have talked about this, um, such as Giordano Bruno, the Dominican friar, the Jesuit priest Athanathus Kircher, in his writings said, the Bible is allegorical. Um, you know, and, and that, you know, Uh, Christianity was born on the banks of the Nile, not the Jordan, Um, and he was a Jesuit priest. Um, Pope Mm -hmm. Leo the Great, um, who was a Catholic, who was one of the very early popes, actually went so far as to say the Bible is allegorical. He said if you believe the Bible and Moses and Jesus are real people, you are going to burn in hell. Um, So if you believe that the the idea of the Bible being an astrological solar allegory is is the world of conspiracy theory, um, you really don't know what the hell you're talking about. Again, this comes out of the world of the Jesuits. This comes out of the world of the Dominicans. Um, you will find this veiled in in the you know works um, of some of these great scholars throughout history. Um, J.G. Frazier in the Golden Bough talks about this. Um, you'll find it in Masonic writers from Albert Pike to Albert Mackey to Manly P. Hall ad nauseum. Um, and it is not it is not in any way, shape, or form um, some goofy kid. You know writing writing on on his facebook page um you know creating conspiracy theory um this has been talked about by scholars uh, throughout history uh john Holland, um uh he he's a very famous english uh poet and author he talked about this as well, so um you know you know again, this isn't the world of conspiracy um it's comparative religion um and you'll find it you know you'll find many scholars throughout history talking about this. And um, and this is what I relied on, is essentially talking about this in the Royal Archivina book.
2: Well, don't you find that new thought, new paradigms are often called conspiracies? And the longer they stay, the more they're accepted until they finally become the reality. And that's just about the time where new paradigms are showing up, and so so the whole oh, yeah, process yeah. begins over and over again.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Giordano Bruno back in the 1500s was talking about this, you know, I mean, he was, I mean, he, he, you know, he said, you know, Jesus is the, you know, comparatively is the Osiris horse character, Um, Uh you know, the dead and resurrected Egyptian sun god, Um, you know, and and the virgin, you know, the virgin, you know, mother is the virgin Isis, Um, you know, and, and, you know, you get into the astrological ages with Taurus. You know, and Mithras slaying, you know, the end of the Age of Horus. Mithras slaying the bull. Um, and, and Giordano, the difference was Giordano Bruno got on a, you know, this was back at the height of the Spanish Inquisition, got out on a soapbox and started preaching this to the people. You know, and, and then in 1600 found himself being burned at the stake, literally. Uh, I, mean, he was bur- I mean, he was a Dominican friar who was burned at the stake. The Jesuit priest, he's born a few years later, Athanathus um He was a hermeticist. Um, interested in the mysteries, e- Egyptian, e- you know, interested in the Egyptian, and said, look, you know, Jesus is this Egyptian sun god. Comparatively, mm-hmm. um, the difference with Kersher and Bruno was Kersher kept it with his Jesuit friends. Um, he didn't spread it to the people. He just kept it with his um, Jesuit, you know, you know, literary, as it were. And um, I mean, you know, you get in. I mean, you know, you know, you don't have to go far. Um, to, to find sun references and solar symbolisms in the Christian and Catholic Church. Um, I mean, look at the symbol for the Society of Jesus. It's the sun. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean it, it's never-ending. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, just the solar, you know, symbolism and astrological symbolisms going on around Jesus, I mean, they're just so overwhelming. I mean, we could do a five-hour show, um, you know, as Jesus, as the Piscean sun god. I mean, and, you know, I mean, even all the Christian, um, you know, you know, Jesus celebrations are, you know, I mean, Christmas is the winter solstice, Um, you know, Easter is the vernal equinox, Um, you know, the the resurrected sun god at spring, Um, you know, the sun coming out of the vault or tomb of winter. I mean, it never ends. Um, You know, I mean, this is where you have in Judaism. um, This is the Passover, uh, you know, the unleavened bread. This is a, a, a reference to, um, uh, of the returning crops, uh, you know, mm-hmm. of the sun being reborn and the earth with it. Um, you know, so so it never ends. The, You know, you will find these solar allegories placed in these, you know, Judaic Christian religions. I mean, and these all come from these ancient, you know, Egyptian, Mithraic, you know, Ellucian mystery schools. Uh, and again, you'll find this much more well documented in the Royal Archbishop book.
2: Well, yeah, and and I truly believe that that we are coming probably a thousand years from now to a time where the Bible will be will, will be looked upon as allegorical. I mean, look at look at how they selected the books that went into it. They they only put books in that 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 complemented one another, that supported one another, and that's why Enoch didn't make it in. He did originally, but then they 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 put him out, right?
1: Well, the Enoch book is not left in because, is because I mean, it's, A, it's so controversial. I mean, you have Enoch hanging around with demons um, and getting the wisdom from the demons. And, you know, the demons are the are the watchers, the, the fallen mm-hmm. angels who have come down in Genesis and made it with the human women to create the Nephilim. And because of this, they've fallen out of God's favor. Um, and these are the demons that give Enoch this great wisdom, which eventually becomes the seven liberal arts and sciences. On Earth. The difference is, in the Old Testament, the, the, wisdom, the, the wisdom is considered evil, and is what the God of the Old Testament, Jehovah, is trying to eradicate with the flood of Noah. In the Book of Enoch, the wisdom is considered divine. Um, regardless that it's coming from these, you know, controversial, demonic, quote-unquote, entities, the wisdom is considered divine. Um, but, you know, you have this being contradicted in the Genesis story with the flood of Noah. But the problem you have is with the Book of Enoch is you have this whole astrological book which serves as a key, which is which is really the key to unlocking the Bible, the Old and New Testaments. So if you put the Book of Enoch in there um, and, and Enoch is talking about astrology, it, 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 it's a day giveaway. It ends it. Um, you know, if you, if you have in, in, in before the Old and New Testaments, the Book of Enoch saying, okay, divinity is astrology, and, and you know you know you know study the stars and the moon it's a dead giveaway it's over with I mean the number twelve the twelve apostles and the twelve you know houses of the zodiac and the twelve uh, tribes of this I mean it's a dead giveaway it, it's not even you know you know I mean it's just a dead giveaway to this but then the other problem you've got with the Book of Enoch is is you have you know this whole thing with Enoch hanging around um, with these demons um, and then later on in the New Testament you have Jesus and the apostles quoting the book of Enoch so you know it then it begs the question um you know is Jesus and the new apostles you know quoting demons you know our Jesus is demonic um and mm-hmm. you know this opens up a really ugly can of worms um yeah I, and, I, I, you, I know, suspect you know the, you know for the obvious reason
2: I suspect the Vatican would not be happy with that
1: well, no, and, um, and, and, this, and no, and what this, and I, I mean, I know we're running out of time, but what this ties into is this whole thing you will find throughout time and memorial in these esoteric teachings that this whole thing is reversed, um, and, and it's a reversal, and you'll find this, you know, and, and this is the whole idea is that in the Book of Enoch that the demons are the good guys and the, um, and the, the demons are the good guys and the Jehovah and the angels are the bad guys. Um, yeah, I mean, and, when, you know, this, when you this is the reversal that you will find in Gnosticism in Dante Alighieri's Divine Comedy. That, that you'll find this that, that Inferno is Paradise and Paradise is Inferno, and you you know you'll find this in the works of Goethe and Marlowe with Faustus, where where they they receive divine light through Mephistopheles and the Devil, um, and and it, it's it's really getting into these controversial doctrines. They're hidden. They're in there, but they're hidden this whole reversal of the Christian well, Catholic dogma.
2: Well, especially in the, in the book of Enoch, it, it talks about the watchers, the, the fallen angels, bringing, um, bringing mathematics and, and written language and music and, and understanding of the plants and geometry and all of that, teaching that to mankind. Now, if, that's evil. I, I, you know, I don't understand. You know, so well, you're right. That's, it,
1: that's exactly right, Barbara. Because that ties into, you know, you know, you know, you think it's a positive, but this is being frowned upon by Jehovah. And how do you know that? Well, go back to the garden story. You know, you know, the serpent is trying to give Eve the wisdom, and as soon as she does, the the, the Jehovah character who wants to keep mankind, you know, it gets angry. So what? You know, the, the idea is that the. Jehovah of the Old Testament wants to keep man and women in this dumbed-down slave-like state, and it's the demons who are trying to free man and free women from their bonds. And the, the whole idea is, and this is part of the Gnostic teachings, is that, you know, this whole thing is reversed. Um, and, and you will find this in the work, I mean, you will find this in the most unlikely places. You will find this in the works of Dante Alighieri. Um, you will find it in the Book of Enoch. Um and you know you know, and you will find this uh you know in in the works of uh, you know Goethe and Marlowe with Faustus, this, this whole reversal of i mean and if you want to find it in cartoons um you know if you you know we talked briefly earlier you know and this is uh something you know I can preview cinema symbolism um you know real quick cinema symbolism too, the book i 'm working on, maybe this would be a good way to end if you want to see Naki and demons um you know as the good guys. You know you know who you know, you know, like you said it, the demons are the providers of the geometry and the wisdom and, and, and all this wisdom to mankind. if you want to see this in in cinema and cartoons it, and it, it's funny you mentioned the transformers at the beginning of the show because it's the transformers. Um, the autobots are the Enochian demons, these are the demons who are cast out um, who come down to earth and are the saviors of mankind um, the the angels. You know, you know they're the demons, but they're the good guys. They're the guys who help mankind. The the angels who stay loyal to the to the to the god figure, the god of the Autobots, the god of the Transformers, are the Decepticons. they're the bad guys. So it's it's the so it's the same sort of thing that the the, the Jehovah character is the bad guy, and his archangels are the villains. They're, they would be the Decepticons, and the demons the you know, the Enochian watchers, the, the cast-down figures, the guys who come down to Earth, the Autobots, they're the good guys. So if you want to see Enochian demons um, in cinema, it's the Transformers movies. The Autobots wow. are actually the Enochian demons who are here to help mankind. And the angels or the robots who stay loyal to the Demiurge, the Jehovah character, they're the Decepticons. The, the, the and it's, again, symbolizing this complete reversal of Scripture that the demons are the good guys and the angels and Jehovah are actually the villains.
2: Well, you certainly, you certainly have put a lot, a lot of um, material out there for people to really think about and chew on. And I hope, excuse me, I hope they all, they all get the book because I, I found it not only stimulating, but, but informational and, and every now and then, you know, I cheered because I made a connection and I think it, almost everybody will will have the same sort of experience. Um there there are a lot of people out there today that that are waking up and seeking answers and looking for the connections and your book does it, you know, it's out there for what is the term for those with eyes to see and and ears to hear.
0: So That's right. I, I That's don't
2: right. I don't think you can do more than that, Robert, but this has been fascinating. Thank you so much for for educating all of us on on some new levels here. And uh we're gonna have to do this again because we didn't we just scraped the
1: surface. Oh absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Can I just wrap up by giving my website out?
2: Sure. I've put it in the chat room a couple of times, but oh. do give it out to those who are just gonna listen and archive.
1: Yeah, just, just real quick, um, I know we're running out of time. If you're interested in the show, again, thank you for having me on, Barbara. We'll definitely do it again. Um, so much more to flush out. And, uh, you know, again, I'm writing three books at once right now, so we have a lot to talk about. Um, if you like what I had to say and you're interested in the Royal Arch Enoch or Cinema Symbolism, the easiest way is just go go to my website, which is my name is Robert W. Sullivan IV. So it's Sullivan dot com. that's the letter i the letter v on the fourth so it's www robertwsullivaniv.com links there to buy the books it's in kindle form paperbacks links to my social media twitter facebook fan pages again links to buy the book paperbacks amazon kindle barnes and noble nook anything you're looking for obviously the ebooks are much cheaper uh www robertwsullivaniv.com Again, Barbara, thank you for having me so much again on Mike Light. I thought it was a tremendous show and I'd welcome I'd welcome a return appearance anytime you want to have me on.
2: Sounds good to me. I will give you a call and we'll figure something out.
1: Okay, thank you.
2: You're welcome, and thank you. Okay, guys, I want to thank you all for being here tonight. Um I will be on uh I believe next week or the week after with Mary Peeler. We're doing spiritually speaking. We'll be talking about some interesting topics, and there will be some readings as well. So look, for my, look at my website, BarbaraDeLong.com. You'll find when the next show is, and I look forward to seeing all or some of you there. Good night, everybody. There's no better deal for $4 than the Wendy's 4-for-4 4 4 meal. Start with our Junior Bacon Cheeseburger. Made with fresh beef and freshly cooked bacon, crisp all-white meat chicken nuggets, natural cut fries, and a nice cold Coke. All for just $4. No one makes $4 sound as good as Wendy's. Get more for four. The 4-for-4 4 4 meal deal. Now at Wendy's. Offer includes small fries and drink at participating Wendy's for a limited time. Prices may vary. Offer not valid in Alaska and Hawaii. Fresh ground beef available in the contiguous U.S. and Canada.